Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter... Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, fantastic. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for those who have uh, led us so far, uh, Stu and John. And thank you particularly for you guys at the back, uh, Paul and Eddie. I think I can see there. Um, it's so grateful to you all for, for making it possible for us to join together as we worship. Okay, uh, sometimes we start with a little bit of a question. I've got a question for you today. Uh, See this picture up here? Um, you've probably um, had to deal with one of these in your workplace or something like that, or perhaps even in church. You know this thing where they're like, oh, you've got the sand and you've got to put it in the jar, and then you've got the big rocks that you've got to put in the jar, and the sand is like all the unimportant things. The rocks are the really important things. If you want to get them all in the jar, you have to put the rocks in first and then the sand later. What do you think are the rocks that's the really important things in the jar of the life of faith? Okay, talk to the person next to you. Say four or five things. Four or five things that you think are absolutely essential, that you would put first into the life of faith before all the rest of the sand and the other stuff comes in. Now, this is a ridiculous exercise, okay, because it doesn't actually present like this. You don't have to choose five things and sack everything else, obviously. But it's a good conversation starter, okay? Uh, If you want to just think about this on your own, that's absolutely fine. If you want to talk to the people next to you, make the most of it. What are the four or five things that need to go into the jar of the life of faith. You've got three or four minutes. Go. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, I'm sure there were just some all sorts of wonderful and wise conversations that I would love to hoover up from. You can tell me afterwards where where you got to. It's a bit of a ridiculous exercise, isn't it? But it's nice to get us thinking, what, what is really important in our faith? Um, We are an Anglican church, um, although we have lots of Baptists here, and if you're a Baptist, we love you. It's absolutely fantastic, and if you're independent, we love you too. It's fantastic. But um, we are an Anglican church, and we have our origins as Anglicans in the Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther, do you remember, famously got back to the Bible and and recognized that where where the, the Roman Catholic Church of the day was going was just miles away from what the Lord had revealed as Anglicans, we value the Book of Common Prayer 
Um, and uh, the, the Book of Common Prayer was an amazing kind of attempt to really return to the scriptures as a place to form our worship. Um, And it's a great treasure like that. One of the rocks, that is to say, one of the rocks for us uh, in our heritage as Anglicans is the Word of God. The Word of God is one of those things, get that in there early, early on, and then build a life of faith around it. And we want that to be uh, the, one of the rocks in our life as a church. Um, not just because we have a kind of particular penchant for that, whatever. It, it, it comes from Jesus, that spirit. And that's why we've done this recent series called Jesus and the Word. Uh, after all, if we want to follow Jesus, we want his attitude to everything to shape our, our lives, including his attitude to his Word, the Scriptures, and uh, we, we wanted to spend these last couple of uh, uh, evenings and mornings, actually we did the series across evening and morning, thinking a little bit more about that. Recently we had uh, the coronation, of course, uh, with that great moment when the uh, moderator of the Church of Scotland comes to the, to the king and says, we present you with this book, the Bible, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. I guess we all recognize that is quite an exceptional thing to say to however many millions of people in the culture of today. Many in our culture would say, really? Is it really really that good? Is it really that reliable? Is it really that useful for our lives together? And, And how, if it is? How is it God's word? In what way? How much of it? And for that, we have tried in these last couple of weeks to come back to Jesus himself and think about how he speaks about it. If you've missed the, uh, the sermon series, um, do catch them up. You can get them online uh, or, or on, on Spotify or podcasts and things like that. Jesus and the unbreakable word that was thinking about the reliability of scripture. Jesus and the apostles word. Think about how Jesus endorsed the words of the apostles and anticipate that they would be the ones who communicate his teaching, that's the New Testament. Jesus and the saving word, that was uh, last Sunday evening. We're looking at the parable of the two houses, one on sand, one on rock, just illustrating how obedience to, to Jesus' words is just absolutely core to his message. And then today, Jesus and the whole word, how Jesus related in particular to everything that came before him, uh, what we now know as the Old Testament. And uh, this is a bit of a foundation uh, building kind of message. Uh, It's not quite as glamorous as some of the other focuses of our faith. But let me tell you why I think it's vital. It's vital because the word is our lifeblood as Christians. Jesus said his words are spirit and they're life. And we want to stay connected to that. We want to know how that spirit, how that life comes to us. So that's, I think, why it's worth thinking about. And I'm praying this evening that we're going to have a new sense of Jesus' confidence in the whole word of God uh, this evening and a bit more clarity perhaps on how it all fits together and also excitement about how we might engage with it ourselves. Okay, I've got four titles uh, for Jesus uh, this evening. Uh, They're not very uh, memorable. In fact, they're pretty awkward, but perhaps because they're so awkward, you'll remember them. He is the non-abolisher. He is the fulfiller. He is the preserver. And he is the intensifier of the word. Let's start at the beginning. He is the non-abolisher of the Old Testament. Uh, If you close your Bibles, do open them again in Matthew chapter 5. 
And uh, we're looking at these famous verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus is the non-abolisher of the Old Testament. He says, verse 17, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's the non-abolisher of the law. The law and the prophets, by the way, was shorthand for kind of the whole of the uh, Old Testament, the, the canon of Scripture in Jesus' day. Of course, they didn't have the New Testament yet. And uh, this stuff comes in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus has been drawing massive crowds. People are, are, are streaming to him. He's got this amazing healing ministry. And I guess people are asking themselves the question, what sort of teaching is this new rabbi bringing? And there are surprises And the surprise has come out all over, not least right here. I guess in Jesus' day, people looked at Jesus a bit like an abolisher of things. Uh, He had sided with the outcasts. Uh, He'd stood against the religious status quo. He seemed to be kind of dismantling that pretty uh, radically. He definitely brought a new message. Uh, Surely he was against all sorts of stuff, perhaps even against the writings of the past. But no, Jesus said, I am a non-abolisher. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. It was a surprise for people of his day. I think that's actually a surprise even for Christians today. Uh, I wonder whether you've uh, heard anyone say something like this. You know, I'm more into the God of the New Testament than the Old. I've definitely heard Christians say that. Um, And that line of reasoning has its origins in something biblically very true and appropriate. We'll get into the detail of that in a moment. Jesus did come to abolish certain things to do away with what would qualify for old-time religion. He overturned the tables, remember? He threw out all the crusty religious traditions. But if we say that Jesus came to do away with the law and prophets, if we say he came to do away with the Old Testament, he would say to us, no. He would say, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. He's the non-abolisher. But that begs the question, how? How is that not the case? I mean, Jesus' teaching clearly adds something to what came before, something new, something different. In fact, the gospel writers tell us that he spoke with authority, not as the teachers of law. So the teachers of the law would just bring out the scriptures and say, well, we're just saying what they say. Jesus said something new. How is he not uh, bringing something new and therefore getting rid of the old? What is the connection between his message and the teachings that came before? Well, we get a bit of an answer to that in the next point. Next, he is the fulfiller of the law. He is the fulfiller of the law and the prophets. Verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now this word to fulfill basically means uh, just to fill up. Uh, Chrysostom, an early Christian uh, writer, said uh, these sayings of Jesus were no repeal of the Old Testament but a drawing out and a filling up of them. Well, how does Jesus fulfill uh, the Old Testament? Well, let's just think about what the Old Testament contains. It contains doctrinal teaching, stuff you have to know about God. And there's all sorts of wonderful stuff there about his character, uh, but it's partial. It's like the first half of the textbook. There was more to come, and Jesus 
brought that in his teaching. What else has the Old Testament got? And it's got predictive prophecy. It's, it's anticipating a Messiah, some suffering servant who's going to come and die and give his life for the people. And Jesus is that person. In that sense, he fulfills it. The Old Testament has ethical commands, tells us how we should live. And Jesus fulfills that in the sense of obeying them perfectly, giving us a perfect interpretation of what it means to follow them. So Jesus, if you like, on that image, is the destination of the journey of the scriptures. He is the climax of the great drama. He's the answer to all the questions it begs. He's the substance of all the hope it contains. He's the fulfiller. Now, that poses a couple of challenging questions. Because it means that how we handle the Old Testament is not quite the same today as it might have been before Jesus' time. So, for example, there are some parts of it that don't obtain now. There's a complex sacrificial uh, system uh, in the early books of the Old Testament. And that's superseded by Jesus. He was the ultimate sacrifice for sins. We don't need one anymore. And that's a great relief because there isn't even a temple to go to if we had to. It got destroyed in uh, 80 AD or so. But other parts of the Old Testament do continue to obtain for us. Um, if we kept reading here in, in Matthew 5, you can see the headings, actually. He goes to talk about um, the, the command not to murder, the command not to commit adultery. And he emphasizes those still are important. Now, how do we work out which ones, which ones, still, go, which ones still apply and which ones don't? Well, there's more to be said on this than I have time for now. But let me just give you a quick answer to that one. Uh, Christians have come to categorize the Old Testament into three categories. Ceremonial laws, civil laws, and moral laws. The ceremonial laws, sort of religious ceremony. Civil laws are stuff about how they governed the people of Israel. And moral laws, that's what we might talk about, personal morality. And it's the latter, the moral laws, uh, that we keep. In fact, the the Church of England... um, has 39 articles, as uh, very few of you will probably know, but uh, they are the founding documents of the church. And this is particularly addressed there. Uh, It says, the Old Testament is not contrary to the new, for both in the Old and New Testament, everlasting life is offered to mankind by Christ, although the law given from God by Moses as touching ceremonies and rites do not bind Christian men, nor the civil precepts thereof, ought of necessity to be received in any commonwealth, Yet, notwithstanding, no Christian man or woman, you understand this is very old, no Christian man whatsoever is free from the obedience of the commandments which are called moral. All of that basically means the moral stuff we have to keep going with. Now, if you want to explore that more, I'd love to sit down with you uh, sometime. But that'll have to do for now. Christ is the fulfiller of the law and the prophets. Next, Christ is the preserver of the law and the prophets. Okay, I don't know what your favorite uh, preserve is. Do you love a bon maman? Yeah, we've got a couple of nods here. I'm, I'm a, we're a bon maman and a Wilkin and Sons uh, ginger jam uh, family, just in case you want to know. Um, I, I discovered this week as I was looking for uh, preserve um, uh, a sort of trivia that there is actually an EU jam directive. Hey, I, you, you came here, you've got all sorts of wisdom. minimum fruit in order to pass as jam. There we go. Just put that in your pipe and smoke it for a while. Okay. Now, but Jesus says he's a preserver of the law. Preserver of the law. 
Just, just listen again. I'm going to read 17 to 19. Listen out for the way he's saying, look, we're absolutely holding on to all of this. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Now, I spent a long time learning Hebrew uh, when I was at college, uh, and I'll leave it up to you to um, decide whether you think that was of any particular merit uh, uh, for me. But there is the odd occasion when learning Hebrew turns out to be really, really useful. And this is one where Jesus says, uh, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen. He's talking about uh, a yod. And as you will all know very well, a yod, the Hebrew letter, a yod, is a really, really, it's like an apostrophe. It's tiny. It's the smallest letter in the alphabet. And he's saying, look, you can't even take the yods away. In fact, he says, not even a stroke of a pen. They're like the cantillation marks. They're like the doodles that you put in your, in your notebook when you're taking notes. You can't even get rid of those. All of that needs to be preserved. And of course, uh, this is all a metaphor for saying the whole of the, the, the Old Testament is of value. So faithfulness to Jesus looks to apply all of his law in our lives. Now that is easy said, but difficult to do. There are bits that are tricky to understand. Uh, There are genuinely deep ethical questions that actually the Old Testament and the New don't really give us an answer to. When should life support cease to be offered? Uh, How much of a human would you have to replace with mechanical or electrical bits before they cease to be a human? We could go on for a very long time about all sorts of questions that the scriptures don't give us any direct answer to, though they give us some tools. But there is stuff in there that we are called to obey. Honor your father and mother. Jesus calls us to wholehearted obedience to that. And of course, there's masses that we learn about the nature of God. So perhaps I can ask you this evening, how how are you doing in your wrestling and your love for the scriptures. I know that many of you are amazing. You, you, I, we, we chat and you're suddenly telling me that you've read, you know, you listened to Lectio in the morning uh, and you, you've absorbed some great little passage of scripture. Others of you uh, are, on, are reading the Bible in one year and you're ahead of me because I'm still I'm about 15 days behind. I'm, I need to catch up. Uh, I know that the scriptures are so valuable for, for many of us. Perhaps for others, the Bible is kind of like a bit of a closed book for us. You still haven't started, perhaps particularly the Old Testament. Well, can I encourage you? Get, get started. Um, Stu uh, has written a song, uh, which we, we sang on Friday evening at, at our worship night, uh, based around Psalm 139. If you find it easier to listen to songs, that's a great way of getting into the Psalms, uh, for example. There are lots of uh, ways of, of getting into the Scriptures. Um, the Old Testament is full of stories, and basically the stories are quite long. So if you read them in church, it can make for quite long services. So sometimes we just don't do that. But you can take time out yourself uh, and read some of these great stories and follow the faithfulness of God through them. And it, it is wonderful. When you're soaked in, in, in the, the, the stories of Scripture, it shapes your life 
I was taking some time out uh, last night to, to really seek the Lord in prayer. Uh, and um, I, I remember I came back to Genesis 32. You, you remember uh, where Jake, Jacob wrestles with God. Um, and there was just one little moment in my life where I was inspired to go back to something that I knew about. And that inspired me to do more of that wrestling with God. Lord, speak to me. Lord, come and uh, I want an encounter with you. And that's what happens when we know the scriptures. Okay, last one. Last one. After preserver, intensifier. Non-abolisher, fulfiller, preserver, and intensifier. Jesus is the intensifier of the Old Testament. So, uh, verse 20. Uh, Well, let, let me read from 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are challenging verses. and We may have all sorts of questions. We'll get to them in just a moment. But let's take the thing that's very clear. Jesus is he's intensifying. He's turning up uh, the, the dial. You know, do you, do you ever do this thing? You go to the gym or whatever, and you know, you're doing a little bit on the, on the weights machine or, or something like that, just, you know, 10 minutes on the treadmill. And suddenly someone next to you comes and starts doing this, you know, or something similar. You know, that's what Jesus is saying. More, more. And if we were to read on here, um, you probably know this well, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it's got the bit where, where he says, look, you know it's been said, don't murder. Well, I tell you what, don't say anything unkind. And then he says, oh, you know, it's been said, don't commit adultery. Well, just watch out for your thoughts. Um, and then he has a go at cheap divorce. Uh, and then he tells him to turn the other cheek. And then he says, love your enemies. Don't just love your friends. Everyone does that. Love your enemies. Jesus is the intensifier. He turns it up. And of course, he says, not just you know, teach other people about it. It's his practice and teach all of it. Now, that is challenging, isn't it? That is challenging for all of us. Let's deal with the first problem there. Isn't Jesus accepting? I mean, we, we think he was the great friend of sinners. Isn't he the one who silences guilt and condemnation? Isn't he the one who puts aside the overwhelming demands of the law? How can he also be turning it up, intensifying it? Well, I don't want to miss out an opportunity to remind you of the gospel. Absolutely, Jesus accepts every single one of us in our sin. We don't need to sort out our lives in order to come to him. He forgives us. He comes into our lives. Wherever we've gone, he runs after us like the lost sheep. But he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Uh, Someone the other day um, asked me, you're not trying to change me, are you? Um, and I, I didn't really know what to say. I didn't really say anything because I had to have a bit of a think about it. What I wish I'd said is, no, I can't change you. No, no person can change you. But, yeah, we're definitely in the business of change. And I long for everyone in this church, starting with myself, to be changed. All of us changed by the scriptures to be more like Christ. What did he mean by this thing, that our righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees? I think he was thinking about not so much the degree, but the, the kind of righteousness. The Pharisees were good at keeping all the laws. You know, tick, 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 tick. Yeah, I've done that, done that, done that, done that. 
And Jesus says, not, it's not really about that. It's about what's in the heart. That's the kind of righteousness you need. Not about externally getting it right, but internally getting it right. If you want to think more about that, Greg's sermon from last week was brilliant. You catch up online uh, for that. But let me just leave you with one, one picture, which, which may help. Um, I want you to imagine a thorn bush. Okay, you've got a thorn bush in your garden, and uh, uh, you would really like it to, to bear fruit. Um, not thorns. I don't know, some apples or something like that. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, you could uh, get the clippers and cut off all the thorns, um, and then you could take some apples and you could stick them onto the thorn bush. And then you invite your friends around and say, look at this, this wonderful apple tree that we've got here. Absolutely fantastic. And they look at it and perhaps they don't see the, the tape and so forth. And think, yeah, for a while that looks okay. Uh, it's not going to last, is it? It's not going to last. The, the apples are going to go uh, moldy pretty quickly. Um, and ultimately, next year, unless you do the same rigmarole again, it's not going to produce anything. What you need is to get rid of the thorn bush and plant an apple tree. You need something completely different that is kind of a fruit tree right from the center. And that's what the Lord is calling us to, by his spirit, to get our hearts, the very essence of who we are, changed so that we would bear fruit for him. All right. So we've seen uh, Jesus as the non-abolisher. We've seen him as the fulfiller. We've seen him as the preserver and the intensifier of the scriptures. I'm going to invite the uh, band to come up and, uh, and join me here. I'd like us to just take um, a moment of quiet, perhaps. Just think, what's the Lord uh, saying to us through this scripture? Um, perhaps he's already started to work in you uh, this evening, um, pointing you in a particular direction. What does it mean for you that your life might be, your righteousness might be that that surpasses that of the Pharisees? That is a real heart change. Let's just take a moment of quiet to think about that and then I'll lead us in prayer. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.